I'm just going to stand here and look at all these smiling faces for a little bit. Good morning. Thank you. Somebody's waving at me back there. Uh, two or three people or somebody. I'm so glad to be here. I'm having a good time at King's Grand Baptist Church. You folks have been very gracious to me. You've given me attention. And in the Lord, I trust that we're meeting needs, that we're inspiring, that we're speaking the truth. And I'm thrilled to be here today. And I have a question for you. Why are you here? Now, there could be a lot of answers to that question. And I trust, I pray, I hope that most or maybe all of the answers are godly and productive and effective and in line with what the Lord wants from you and from me. However, to begin our thinking together today, I want to give you the basic, the bottom line, the foundation of the reason why you are here and why I'm here. And it is summed up in the wonderful phrase that you and I know very well when Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in Jesus Christ should not, shall not, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you aware? Do you think about the fact that as you sit here, a believer in Jesus Christ, that you do not have to die. That you are not going to die. Now, I don't understand that. However, I believe that, I trust that, and I know that to be the truth. And in that fact is why we're here today. In fact, I'm going to tell you that without Jesus Christ, without the fact that he came here 2,000 years ago to walk with us, to live with us, to teach us, and then to go to a cross, to die on the cross, to give you freedom, without all of that, this church would not even be here. You would not be here. I would not be here. The church would not be here because having said what I just said, heaven forbid, but then Jesus would not have been here. But he was. And in that, you and I have the wonderful gift, gifts, a whole list of them, of forgiveness, of peace, of hopefulness, of eternal life, of all that you and I have as Christian men and women. Now, it occurs to me, having all those gifts that are free, we don't get much free in this world anymore. But these, these wonderful gifts are free. It occurs to me that at least it does call for, or I would even say demand, some kind of legitimate godly response on your part and my part. And I want to emphasize in our sharing today that that response, and it is possible from Everybody that believes and everybody in this room right now, that that response is to be worship. 
we are to come before Almighty God with worship and praise and thanksgiving and a lifestyle. Now hang on to that last word that I gave you, lifestyle. Because worship, and I'm telling you, it is much broader than what you and I might think about sometimes. Now, I love the music that we've heard this morning. I appreciate the hymns. I appreciate the choir, the praise team. I appreciate the instruments. I love all of that. And I am touched in my spirit deep down inside when music is played and performed and sung there's something about it in the Lord that just gets inside of me deeper than just about anything in the world. And so for all of you that love music and perform and give us and share with us music, I am so very thankful. However, worship does not stop there. Some of you can't play an instrument. Nope. Some of you can't sing. <laughs> Everybody can make a joyful noise. And I bet most everybody in this room can sing. But worship has got to go deeper and much more involved than that. And as we heard Anita read the wonderful scripture from Romans 12 a moment ago, the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago wrote this book of Romans and it's a beautiful, powerful, godly study of theology. That means studying God in all of his ways. And in Romans 12, it says that we are to worship. And how is that? Remember, the Apostle Paul, Romans 12, said, Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy shown to all of us, then you are to present your bodies as living sacrifices to Almighty God. And that in and of itself is your spiritual act of worship. Now, hallelujah for singing and playing great music. But hallelujah for presenting your entire being. Now, hang on, because... You can't just sit here and enjoy this beautiful music and be about the kind of worship that Romans 12 is talking about. And we're going to look at that very carefully with challenges and admonitions and commands and what the scripture says and what other powerful music says and the whole concept of how you and I need to live in a spirit of worship. Because that then will give us the kind of ministry, the kind of church, the kind of Christian life that we're supposed to have. So, let me assure you that when it says that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, he is asking you to live for him. Now, I ask you this question. Whom do you live for? Do you live for yourself? Do you live for your family? Do you live for your finances? Do you live for your nice material things? Now, certainly for yourself and for your family and for all of that's not bad. 
But we're supposed to live for Jesus Christ. Because he is the one that died for you and me. He died so that we did not have to. <laughs> Remember, for God so loved the world, did I, shall not perish, have everlasting life. Well, that's true. He died so that you and I would not have to die. And he willingly died. And now we come in this moment, at this time, in this place, and in your lives, and in your community, and in all of what you experience, to practice a living sacrifice, to give yourself sacrificially. And I know you don't like that word, because you have to get outside of yourself. You have to do other things. Because it goes on to say that do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, you might say, but I'm a Christian and I don't do worldly things. And, and I hope for the most part that you do not. However, all of us are programmed. We're conditioned with this world that's all around us. And I would challenge you to go home or sit there right now and think while I'm talking. And how in your life are you conforming to the ways of this world? You'll have to examine yourself before the Lord. I'm not going to do that, but you certainly can do that. And in legitimacy as a Christian man or woman, you can confess, you can let the Lord know that these are things that you're conforming to the world with and that you want to be transformed. What does that mean? Changed. You may not want to change, but folks, please remember, your life does not belong to you. It was bought with a price. And so therefore, we are commanded to be transformed. How do we do that? There's one place where you can know and experience a new being, a new a transform, a change of mind, where and how. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you don't know the verse, write it down, go read it, because it says everyone that is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. I am pleased to share with you that you've been created twice. Wonderful, the physical personality, the mind, all that you have as a human being, that is God's magnificent creation. That happened when you were born, when you were conceived. But now in your Christian experience, you've been created twice because it says you're a new creation. In other words, in and through Jesus Christ. Now, folks, it doesn't happen overnight, <laughs> this whole new creation. It is a process. It's called sanctification. I just call it climbing the mountain <laughs> because it is a mountain to climb. And the whole process of becoming a new creation takes place over your entire life. I've been climbing the mountain for 80 years. And... God willing, I'll keep climbing till I'm with him. And so therefore, we can be transformed into new creations. Now, 
I'm going to go to the latter part of chapter 12 because in that there are commands. Now, hold your breath for a moment because between verse 9 and verse 21, there are 17 commands. Now, folks, that's a big list. And I promise I'm going to be here till 3 o'clock this afternoon preaching to you about it. Whoa. <laughs> no, but I am going to highlight and call to your attention every one of the 17. Why? Because that's what God says. And this is the way we worship. This is the way we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. But it, these are commands, folks. It's, it's not optional. There is not a maybe or we'll see or probably or think about it or it's optional. There's not a phrase like that in this whole section of Scripture. It is directly do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. So now, listen and think. And I'm just going to make a quick comment about each one of these and then we'll move on to something even are more powerful, uh, well, in line with this, not more powerful, but in line with this. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Now, you would certainly say, well, if I love my family, I love my spouse, I love my children, I love my friends, that that's sincere. Well, examine yourself. Do you realize that much of love is self-serving? You love others because you get something out of it. Again, it's not sacrificial love. And that is part of our human struggle. We love because then maybe they'll love me back. Or maybe they'll be nice to me. But love being sincere is where you give yourself as Jesus gave to us. Remember, this is part of worship. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Two powers in the world, good and evil. The good, there is only one good. Yes, only one good. And that is the things of God. The things of Jesus Christ. The things of Scripture. The things of our Christian faith. So, cling to what is good and avoid. Go away from what is evil. I don't want you. I don't want myself to walk hand in hand with Satan. Be devoted one to the other. Think about the word devotion. We may not use that word very much. But being devoted to one another in absolute love. That means you give yourself. Now who offered the example? Jesus Christ. It is truly all about him, as the song said earlier today. And so be devoted one to another. Honor one another above yourself. Now, yes, I said last week that sometimes we need to take care of ourselves that we need to love ourselves in a godly appropriate way but this is very true it says honor one another above yourselves never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the lord when i read that phrase i think about the power the power of almighty god the fervor of ministry and of sharing and of serving the Lord. Now I will tell you 
that I want to encourage you, as you serve the Lord, then you will gain power. All right? Now, if you sit on the pew and do nothing in your Christian life, you're going to sit on the pew and do nothing. I've said it, and I will say it many times, Christian faith, the Christian ministry, is not a spectator sport. And if all you want to do is sit here and listen to this old guy talk, I'm sorry, thank you for listening, thank you for paying attention, but when you get out and you work and you serve and you do, then you get stronger, your Christian faith gets stronger, and God's kingdom gets benefit. So it says, serve with fervor. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful, faithful in prayer. The only way you can be joyful is to be faithful in prayer. Now, I preached on prayer last week. I loved it. Did, did my prayer life good? <laughs> I hope it did your prayer life good because then you can be joyful and you can be faithful even and patient in affliction. Is anybody in here afflicted? All of us are afflicted, folks. Everybody struggles with all sorts of afflictions. And so please realize that in your faithfulness, in your patience, and in your prayers that you can be victorious. Share with God's people who are in need. I'm going to ask you a question right now. Immediately, can you think of one person that you know that you can share with that is in need. Spiritual need, financial need, material needs, uh, emotional need, relational needs. And then my next question is, do you share with them? Their needs all about. Their needs in this room right now. Again, every one of us struggles. And so it says to share with God's people who are in need. He's talking to Christians, folks, even about sharing with your other Christian brothers and sisters. It says, practice hospitality. I thought about this this morning. I don't think that I thought about it before until I got up here this morning at the 9 o'clock service, but I asked the question of the people. I'm going to ask it of you. In the houses that you live in, how many people of you in this room have a house with a big front porch? Raise your hand, please. Wow, I see one, two, three, four, five. Out of 200 people. Why do we have little bitty stoops on the front of the house? My grandparents used to have a huge front porch. And what did they do on the front porch? Everybody got together. The neighbors came over to visit. They sat in a rocking chair and they had a glass of iced tea. Yeah, I'm from the South, folks. And that was hospitality. I think we've lost that, folks. And therefore, we have lost some of God's gift and God's opportunities for ministry and of worshiping Him. So practice hospitality. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Interesting, that phrase has bless in it twice. You know why? Because it's hard for you to bless. Particularly when you're being persecuted. But blessing is a part of worshiping the Lord because the Lord blesses. And we're following in his example. That's what this is all about. So it says, bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
we are humans and we struggle and we have reactions and we get hurt and then our tendency is to hurt back. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Now that is fairly common to understand. We, we do rejoice with our friends, we celebrate, we're happy for them. Then we go and we mourn with them when they're sad or they lose somebody special and we mourn. But I'm going to say it's even more than that. Get outside of yourself and get into the feelings of your neighbors, of your friends, of your Christian family. They, blessings and rejoicing and mourning, that all just represents the feelings that all of us go through. And it, I'm, you know, I'm privileged to be a professional counselor. I sit with people every day. And part of my objective is to get into their feelings. But it doesn't have to be just me. It doesn't have to be a trained person. Every one of us can do what's God, what God is asking. Live in harmony with one another. <clears throat> wow. Harmony or disharmony? I'll just ask you to examine yourself. Do you live in peace with all those around you? Do you seek peace daily? Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. Low position, yes, I'm going to put another little word in there. Be willing to associate with people and to listen to people and to consider people that have a different perspective, a different idea. I don't have a lock on all the things that are right and godly, nor do you. And I want to learn from you, and I pray you'll learn from me, and I pray we will learn from each other, and we will if we get into some of the other perspectives. And then do not be conceited. No, don't be conceited because that is prideful. And the only way you can be confident is in the Lord to know what God is asking of you. But I'm in favor of confidence. I love to be up here in front of you. And I had a fine young man ask me last night. He said, Don, do you ever get nervous? And I was able to say, no, not now. Now, when I was younger, now some of y'all knew me when I was younger, right? I see three ladies right back there doing my Sunday school class. And... Occasionally, back then when I was late 30s and 40s, ooh, i got to teach this and I'm not sure what to say. And I would get nervous. But now there is confidence in the Lord. Peacefulness because I know He is here. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. No, stay away from you. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now, sometimes people are not going to agree with you, but that doesn't mean you're wrong. You take your position to the Lord, and you let Him examine your position. And you do that with absolutely faithful prayer, saying, listen carefully, God, whatever you say, I will do. All right? It's not you, it's not me, it's Him. And He's the one that has the truth and the good, so... Please do what is right in the eyes of everybody based on what the Lord says. If it is possible, I love this phrase, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Peace is my favorite word in all the world. And there's one place where you get peace. 
Jesus Christ. You can't find it just in worldly situations. It's just not here. And so be sure that you can live at peace as best it depends on you with everybody. And do not get revenge because it damages you and the people that you're getting revenge with. Now, these are commands. Now, I'm going to go to something else that I pray will inspire you and emphasize this because this celebration of music and truth that we're about to look at and listen to is totally in line with Romans 12. This is a song called I Then Shall Live. And I love this song. And I got to tell you real quickly that the first day I was here, like three weeks ago, I came in looking for Scott down the hallway. He walked up, and there was a man with him, and it was Ray Kirby. Is Ray in here right now? There's Ray back there. And Ray immediately said, Dr. Solomon, I'm so glad that you shared with us a couple of years ago the song, I Then Shall Live. He said, it's become my favorite song. I listen to it all the time. I look at every phrase, every phrase, every phrase in that song. And it is a challenge. Ray is just, we're standing in the hallway, and he's excited about it. And I'm pleased because I love the song. I li I've listened to it a hundred times or maybe more. And so right then I started thinking. I said, well, okay, that just is a message to me that I shared it with the deacons at a conference I did for them. And now the Lord wants me to share it with everybody here at King's Grant. So we're about to listen to this song, then I'm going to make a few comments about it, and then we're going to listen to it a second time. Ray, if we, since we're listening to it twice, that's for you and me, okay? All right, good. But it's for everybody, because I want this, this message to sink in. The name of the song is I Then Shall Live. Now, it started Francis Schaeffer, a, a well-known, world-known theologian and Christian leader, wrote a book in 1976 called How Then Shall I Live? And that was the, this is the theme of his book. Then Gloria Gaither, Gaither Music. I love Gaither Music. Hallelujah. Uh, it does touch me. She wrote the words to this beautiful song. And so I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen. I want you to absorb. I want you to take it personally that this in conjunction with the wonderful word of God in Romans 12, is how we should live.
I then shall live As one who's learned Compassion I've been so loved That I'll risk loving too I know how fear Builds walls instead of bridges I'll dare to see Another's point of Please continue to think about that and apply it, apply it to yourself.
And let me just comment. I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. We've already talked about that. Do you realize that you are free? And free because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 says, In Jesus Christ, those that are in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. I'll walk with joy to know my debts are paid. Jesus Christ paid the price. That's why we don't belong to ourselves. The debts are paid. The sin debts is no longer. It's like, and the next line says, I know my name is clear before my Father. If you had to go into a courtroom with Almighty God today as a Christian, there is no charge against you. Your sins are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. And every one of us in here is a sinner. And yet, because of the mighty love for Jesus, of, of Jesus Christ, he has forgiven and he's wiped the slate clean. I am his child and I'm not afraid. My question to you is, are you afraid? This is a scary world in which we live. You do not have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of hell. You don't even have to be afraid of this world, as scary as it is. I love John 14, 27. And if you don't know what that is, go home and read it. But I'm going to say it to you. Jesus Christ, the night before he was crucified, looked at his disciples and he said, I'm going to give you a parting gift. And this gift is the gift of my peace. And this is a peace that this world knows nothing about. And with this peace, you can banish your fears. With this peace, you do not have to be afraid. Now, Jesus said that. And so this is saying that you and because of Jesus Christ, you're his child and you're not afraid. So greatly pardon, I'll forgive my brother. Last week in praying, we made the point of we are forgiven of the sins that we have done and we're able to forgive the sins that people have done against us. So because of forgiveness in you, do you know what? I don't know that a non-Christian can forgive. Forgiveness is a part of God's territory. But you and I are part of God's territory. And so you can forgive those that have sinned against you. The law of love I gladly will obey. What is the law of love? Jesus said it several times. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. You're to love each other the very same way that I love you. Now, think for a moment. What did Jesus do as a part of his love for you and me? He went to a cross. He gave himself sacrificially. The law of love is to love each other the very same way that Jesus loves us. And Jesus said, and by doing this, people will know that you're my disciples. I then shall live as one who's learned compassion, and I've been so loved, I'll risk loving too. How do you feel about the word risk? Oh, dear, what's he going to talk about now? Risk 
Yes, risk under God's guidance. I'm not talking about foolishness. But if God tells you to do something, listen carefully. Even if it doesn't make sense. If God tells you to risk something. If God tells you, are you willing to do it? Because that's what part of worship, part of trusting the Lord. I know how fear builds walls. And oh my goodness, doesn't it? Because you know who's in charge of fear? Satan himself. If you're afraid, if you live in fear, if you live in fear of other people or other things or the world or... And all of us have a tendency to be afraid. We worry. We're anxious. Yes. But Jesus said we don't have to worry. Now, would he have said it if it was impossible to accomplish that? And fear is Satan's territory, and it will drive you away from other people, and it will keep you from serving the Lord and worshiping and doing what you and I need to do as Christian men and women. I know how fear builds walls Instead of bridges. I dare to see another's point of view. Said that a moment ago. We're supposed to learn from each other. We're supposed to listen to each other. You and I don't have the final word on what's right and good and so forth. So I dare to see another's point of view. And when relationships demand commitment. Then I'll be there to care. And follow through. Who is the example of that? Jesus Christ. We need we needed relationships with Him. And the Bible says that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us 2,000 years ago. He came here. He left heaven. He came to this cruddy place. And He said, You need relationships. You need me. I came to get you. Do you do that with other people? Do I do that with other people? Then this last verse, so good. Your kingdom come around and through and in me. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your, your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. Now, I hesitate there because I always want to say your kingdom come. In me. It's got to start in me and it's got to start in you. Your hallowed name, oh, may I bear it with honor. You, and may your living kingdom come in me. The bread of life, oh, may I share with honor. And may you feed a hungry world through me. Do you feed a hungry world? Sometimes. Sometimes it's kind of inconvenient. Sometimes I just don't want to bother with it, folks. Sometimes I'm tired. We're fighting a battle, folks, and this world is very, 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 very hungry. And Jesus said to Peter, right at the end of the book of John, oh my goodness, what a statement. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, sure, Lord. Now this is after the crucifixion, after Peter's denial, after the resurrection, they've been sitting by the lake, eat, lake eating breakfast of some fish and bread. And Jesus said, do you love me? And Yes, Lord, I love you. I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Peter says, I mean, Jesus says, 
Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, well, yeah, Lord, I just told you. Sure, I love you. Well, feed my sheep. And a third time, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Three times. Remember, Peter said, no, I don't even know him. He denied him three times. Beautiful, beautiful statement to Peter and to you and me because Jesus is asking you and me to feed a hungry world. Now, as we move toward conclusion, we're going to listen and watch this beautiful song once again. I hope that you will go home and think about it and read Romans 12 and also find this song on the internet or a DVD and absorb the fact that this in Romans 12 and in this beautiful song, this is how we should live as we worship our Lord and Savior. Thank you.